Breaking news, there's a new brewery acquisition, and the buyer is someone you wouldn't think. It's the year of collaborations, and they're getting weirder. How do you define a sessionable craft beer? I don't know, something light, drinkable, maybe something fruit, I don't know, it's all beer. Welcome to It's All Beer. The news today is much like the water in the Middle Ages. It's stinking. It's turbid. It'll probably give you the shits. That's why you should only drink beer, and when it comes to news, you should only take beer news. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. That was a long, complicated introduction, but I felt good when I got it through the second time. No, oh, fair <laughs> enough. We're a little rusty today, but it'll... It'll all even out. Well, because we're, uh, once again, uh, doing this in the morning, because scheduling being what it is, kind the of a The day after a beer festival and heavy drinking. And how are you feeling today? <laughs> Great. I took it easy yesterday. I was feeling a little man down yesterday <laughs> from the night before. Because they had, they had a... So this we, we both were at the Hoptober Festival, although you for a lot longer than me. I just had to stop by, help set up, and then go to my regular job. Uh, but we both went to the reception party on Friday night, and that's where the a lot of the more heavy drinking with the industry was happening. So, uh, yeah, that was fun. There was a lot of beer there. Uh, and speaking of a lot of beer, what are we drinking today? Uh, so, I stopped by and picked up some of Mad Swede's Naked Sunbrit Bather Nut Brown Ale. Nice little dad joke in the name, and uh, just won a gold medal over at the Great American Beer Festival. So, yeah, this is one of our, uh, our local breweries. They've... I think they just celebrated their first anniversary or second second anniversary. They're coming up on their third. Coming up on their third. So um, they're still relatively new, and this is their first uh, GABF award. But they also won uh, something at uh, NABA last year. So they're really they're really pulling some things together over there. It's kind of fun to see. Yeah. So not this past NABA, but the NABA before. I want to say they won a silver for the Naked Sunbather. Yeah. So, um, so that's cool. So, and then they won another medal for their golden ale at NABA this year. Um, and a lot of uh, uh, Idaho breweries did well at GABF this year. It was uh, it was fun to see. Besides uh, Mad Swede's Naked Sunbather, um, Sockeye, I think won uh, a a gold for their smoked beer. Yep, and. Boise Brewing won a gold, again, for their Black Cliffs American Stout. I mean, Black Cliffs American Stout was more or less designed to win awards in that category. That beer is the fucking Michael Phelps. <laughs> but it is, a, it is a solid American Stout, and it's good to see that it's still consistently winning. Um, another local brewery, not here in Boise, but in Idaho, uh, from Victor, Idaho, Grand Teton, walked away with their uh, Imperial Stout. Uh, Black silver. Cold. Silver for Black Cauldron. So, yeah, uh, Idaho uh, had a hell of a showing this year, so that's cool to see. On a wider scale, this uh, uh, this come down from the, the full pint. Um, there's a really nice uh, rundown of some of the other interesting things that came out of uh, this year's uh, GABF. First of all, you'll never guess what was the uh, the highest category or what, what category had the most entries in. Hazy IPA. <laughs> you don't have to say it like that, but yes. In... <laughs> In, in the highest number of entries. Also, because none of you could see, I did air quotes around it, too. So it was a, There was a little dance, too. <laughs> but also, let's keep in mind that they run the uh, the Brewers Association um, style guidelines. And right now, in like hazies, there is hazy pale, hazy strong pale, hazy IPA, and hazy double IPA, each with differing alcohol uh, measures. So there is a shit ton of categories and just in one of these uh, uh, hazy IPA, there were 318 uh, entries. Fuck excuse, excuse, excuse me, 348. So, yeah, 
That's a lot of them. And the winner out of all those was from Chicago, uh, the Breezer, from uh, Old Ivoring Old, Old Brewing in Chicago, Illinois, um, followed by uh, the Hazy IPA from City of Lights out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Devil's Gulch from uh, Pond Farm Brewing out of San Rafael, California. So uh, out of Northeast IPAs, no one from uh, the Northeast. Dang, Milwaukee kind of threw me for a loop right there. <laughs> I was like, okay, I can see Chicago, California, yeah, Milwaukee. Um, of course, a close second when the in the number of uh, uh, entries for one category is good old fashioned American style IPA uh, with three hundred and forty two entries. The winner there was uh, more Dodge less Ram from Comrade Brewing Company. I just love that name. Ah, <laughs> uh, that seems like a trademark infringement waiting to happen. <laughs> uh, Radi- it is now. <laughs> Radiant Brewing from uh, uh, Green Creek or uh, Green Cheek Beer out of Orange, uh, California, and then Production Facility out of Coronado Brewing Company out of San Diego. So uh, the other uh, big categories were uh, Fruited American Sours and uh, German Style Pilsners. Uh, the winners there were Elmo Brewing Company out of Austin, Texas, and uh, Blind Owl Brewing out of uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. So well, congratulations to all the breweries that won a medal. Um, or just went over there and had a grand old time. All right. So, top story today. Well, we got to lead off with kind of the breaking news. Uh, Brewbound reported on Friday uh, that Incasi's parent company, Legacy Breweries, acquired Aspen Brewing and Laurelwood Brewing. Uh, one out of Colorado and the other out of Oregon right there itself. So, as part of the transactions, Legacy will acquire all of Aspen's assets, including its IP, so intellectual property, production facility, and downtown Aspen, Colorado brew pub. Uh, meanwhile, Legacy will acquire all of Laura Wood's assets with the exception of its Portland, Oregon-based brew pub. Yeah, this was interesting. I kind of want to talk about the, the breweries in question for a second. Um, first, one of, first there was Aspen, of course, located Aspen, Colorado. Um, this was founded in 2008 by uh, Duncan Klaus. It looks to me like it was purchased because it has a... Really attractive location, Aspen, Colorado. Great uh, um, destination play destination for craft beer people. Um, they actually won gold for their IPA and the World Beer Cup in 2016. Uh, still a small brewery with about 4,000 uh, barrels per year, or 4,500 barrels per year to be uh, more exact. Uh, they sound kind of like a... A brewery's been doing solid work for a number of years, and uh, according to the Brewbound article, uh, they produced six thousand barrels. Really? Because uh, according to uh, Brew, Brew Public, uh, they produced forty five hundred. <laughs> oy, oy, oy. All right, so uh, Brew Public and then Brewbound, uh, or excuse me, uh, Beer Street Journal. You need to get your shit together. One of the two. Uh, Brewbound. Is Brewbound. Where I have the article. Okay. Well, I'm gonna go with Brew Public today. <laughs> Somewhere between 4,000 and 6,000. Anyway, we're still a pretty small brewery. So um, I kind of see this as basically a, a smaller brewery that's been doing good work, getting a, an influx of cash. So I think that'll be good for them. Um, the one I found more interesting was Laurelwood. Same here. Uh, I kind of was like, oh, Aspen, haven't really heard of you. Cool. It's going to be a good market. But a brewery located in Aspen, Colorado. Yeah. That Makes sense. Doesn't surprise me. And yeah. And then I saw the Laurelwood, who used to actually distribute over here to Idaho, no longer does. They only do Oregon, Washington, and Japan. Oh, of course. 
Because that makes know, sense. Real close, closer than Idaho. Uh, no, I enjoyed their workhorse IPA and their free range red when it was over in the market. And um, I found something kind of interesting uh, in this article. They actually talk how Laurelwood has actually been contract brewing its workhorse IPA and free range red at Nkasi for the past year. Yeah, I read that as well, which kind of surprised me. Um, well, it did, it didn't, because Laurelwood, to me, uh, first of all, it is one of the oldest breweries in Portland. They started in 2001, um, and they've been around and been a Portland staple for as long as I've been aware of craft beer. Um, but they seem to be a brewery that produces solid beer that just cannot catch a break, especially recently, <laughs> um, because... Uh, at their height, they would have they had two breweries in uh, two brew pubs in Portland, um, a few others scattered around the uh, the region, and uh, one in the airport, right? Yeah, actually, one at uh, two different airports. Um, the air one of the airports once just closed down because of construction in that terminal. Um, another one closed down as part of a contractual uh, agreement. Basically, it's one company that like has a brew pub for from a certain brewery for a number of years and then they shut down and give it to another brew pub. It's kind of what they do. Huh. Um, and then it came out actually last month that, uh, Laurelwood is going to have to shut down, uh, their, uh, not their original brew pub, but one they did in the, the Northeast side of Portland as the building owner, the, the got to the end of the release, the building owner, uh, ramped up their rent and they just couldn't afford it. So after, after negotiations, they kind of had to, sigh and like pull the plug yep so they're so they're down to the original brewery which is original craft excuse me, their original tap room which actually is isn't part of the agreement uh mike and uh, uh mike DeKalb, who uh started this one is still going to be able to run that as kind of uh, kind of contracting uh the laurelwood name out of that uh brew pub but uh as far as workhorse and free range red yeah that is now owned by legacy breweries I started looking into this one. So, what they, along with uh, a, a real estate company, uh, got a, a majority share, a majority stake in Nkasi in right, April, right around the time we were starting it. And I actually picked up that news article. In fact, my cousin actually sent me a, a newspaper clip from the Oregonian. Um, and but uh, I think you and I were too excited to be giving a, a AB InBev shit for their corn syrup ads. To, yeah, uh, and I think we were. I remember talking about it, and we were like, "Oh, you know, there's there's not a ton in this article that we can really get into." Um, yeah, it sold, but no details really came out of what sold. Um, the only thing was they. And the Brewbound article actually mentions this. When the sale went through, they were looking to acquire two additional Encasi-sized breweries in the Midwest and on the East Coast, as well as 10 to 15 smaller craft breweries in those regions. Well, from what I can see, that really hasn't happened, but it makes sense them picking up Laurelwood because similar region of the country as Encasi. And you can actually rolling out Laurelwood on some of Inkasi's uh, distribution footprint. Um, and I was kind of looking into what Legacy Breweries is. Um, it was started by Don Bryant, uh, who was the CEO at uh, Yakima Chief Hops for a while. Um, and as near as I can tell, there's not a lot of information yet on Legacy Breweries. I kind of spent some time trying to, to see what their what, what their focus was. I mean, they, they literally... Their first move was to acquire Ninkasi, 
And you're right, they kind of had a plan to try to acquire some bigger breweries and become like a new craft brew alliance, maybe without the AB InBev uh, influence, hopefully. <laughs> um, but that's... <coughs> It's a it's it's an interesting move on on that part. So um, I think they're trying to be kind of more canarchy forward, where they're a little more spread out. Where you've got a brewery here, brewery here, yeah. brewery over here. Um, they are also they struck a deal with Ale Song Brewing and Blending to distribute the Eugene Oregon beer. Uh, through Nkasi's distribution footprint starting in November. All right. So that's another thing. It's like one little paragraph in the article <laughs> that you just kind of go over and you're like, oh, yeah, uh, you just randomly threw that in. I mean, what's what's striking me is I was trying to figure out what the what – the, first of all, what the hell Legacy Breweries was and what the hell this means. I kind of settled on I don't think we know yet, number one, what – um, uh, Legacy Breweries keeps on like one of the reasons they wanted. They mentioned wanting to get um, Aspen was a sense of shared values, uh, especially when it comes to community involvement, craft beer, blah 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 blah, lip service to that, that kind of thing. But you real really do need to share some values and some ethos with any company you're acquiring because you can't go into a death metal rock band trying to get them to sing country oh yes you can <laughs> i want to see that i mean my point i but. i don't doubt that uh, uh that that those values are important to aspen i'm curious to see if they're important to legacy because i know uh the founder of oscar blues said uh because the company that is canarchy uh that originally invested in oscar blues to help start canarchy was like firemen capital and investment firm uh, and they said the guy that is the head of that they went out and they're like you know we're not gonna let anyone invest that you know we couldn't go out have fun blow shit up with have a good time and they were like out in the desert shooting cars like old junk cars with like a 50 bmg and just like blowing it up having a grand old time and they're like yeah fuck yeah we'll let this guy invest <laughs> I mean, so I like, think there is some truth to that. I mean, that's a that's an odd set of values. Okay, we need someone with a lot of money who's willing to blow shit up for fun. But I'm not saying it's that's not saying it's a bad thing. <laughs> saying it's odd. I'm I'm sure there was a few more criteria that he didn't really. <laughs> but you want to work with someone you can have a beer with. Fair enough, especially if you're going to be selling beer. So um, I think with the the bottom line is we're going to be watching uh, Legacy pretty closely for a while to see what their next move is because. I don't think they're done. No, I don't think so either. And what really kind of threw me off is uh, the Laurelwood and Aspen both are mid-sized breweries. Right, correct. At the five, 6,000 barrels each. Correct, yeah. Uh, where with the Ale Song Brewing and Blending, in the article they talk and they produced 250 barrels of beer last year. I wasn't aware it was that low. I mean, I know they were a very, very small, very, like, boutique brewery because their whole focus is, like what you said, um, uh, sours and barrel age and blending and, like, small batches. Their their beer is pretty heavily sought after, uh, especially here locally, but I think uh, nationwide just because their releases are just those kind of really unique, um, really handcrafted, small batch um, barrel aged beers. So yeah, no, that two fifty caught me off guard. I was like, okay, 
I mean, I personally haven't heard of them, but I was like, they've got a plan with this. Now, can Ale Song keep up the production with the expanded distribution? Are sales going to be the same? If, like you're saying, they're more of a small batch limited release. I mean, they kind of strike me as the on the same level as um, like a um, the oh, what's the brewery I'm thinking of out in Tillamook, Oregon? The Guard. The Guard, yeah. That that sort of they had that sort of feel to them, or the uh, or the that 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 uh, weird guy out in Bend who's also making ale apothecary. Thank you, thank you for remembering all the breweries. I cannot remember. I can't <laughs> want to say Alchemist, but that's someone totally different. No, that's Vermont. <laughs> But yeah, they kind of struck me as the same vein as those breweries that are like really into experimental beers, experiment, exper- especially experimental fermentation and, and and barrel aging. Nice. So I don't know. Again, uh, it's it'd be an interesting like addition to their portfolio. Even if they stay the same the at the same production level, if they just ex- are able to uh, uh, ship out a few special releases elsewhere. Yeah. So we'll see. I I'm curious to see kind of. Where the next move goes and who uh, Legacy Brewers tries to acquire. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see how that goes. couple of unique collaborations uh, that we've both found. Both saw that uh, Yingling out of Pottsville, Pottsville, Pennsylvania, just collaborated with Hershey's on a chocolate porter. And then... Uh, and then Stone, of course, for reasons I don't uh, uh, completely understand... Decided to make their arrogant bastard worse by collaborating with Jägermeister. Because when I because when I think a quality beer, oh yeah, I'm thinking Jägermeister. Um, before I absolutely give uh, uh, Stone the business, uh, tell us about this uh, uh, collaboration with Yingling and Hershey. <laughs> uh, so Yingling um, and Hershey, as first thing when I brought this up to Jeremy, he's like, "Why has this not happened earlier?" Both two iconic Pennsylvania brands. Um, right next to each other, by the way. I mean, yeah. um, Hershey and Pottsville are like right in the middle of the state. I think they're like an hour or two apart, but you, yeah, they're close big, enough. And also, giants in their respective industries. Yeah. You know, I mean, Yingling. Largest is, owned craft brewery, still family run. And Hershey, well, you know what Hershey is. And female CEOs. So the yeah. company is DG Yingling and Sons. Um, but. So that was the grandfather who started it. Right. Uh, their dad, when he retired, put his daughters in charge because he didn't have any sons. And so now they run it in a company that says DG Yingling and Sons. I did not know that. Interesting. All right. Um, which, Yingling, one of my favorite just e- sessionable beers. We'll get into that later. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, they're uh, releasing this beer uh, from mid-October to mid-February. Uh, it'll be a draft-only release available in 14 markets, um, and it's a chocolate porter which checks in at 4.7% and is a modified version of their dark brewed porter with the taste of Hershey's chocolate. I think we, I think I mentioned this uh, uh, earlier, but uh, their porter is always interesting to me. I, I'm a big fan of it. I would grab a little bit. Well, all right, a couple of weird things about Pennsylvania. Number one, you can only buy beer by the case in Pennsylvania. You can't you can't go anywhere in Pennsylvania and buy a six pack of beer. They just look at you strange when you do that. You have to go to a store and buy an entire case. All right. That, at least that's what it was like when I was there 
um, previously. I think they may have softened that a little bit because it's goddamn stupid. But I would get a case of, of Yingling Porter because it is a really nice, drinkable, roasty beer. But it's almost more of a... Black lager. Right. Or like a bastardized version of a stout, kind of like Guinness, without the nitro. Correct. Um, no, that's... As you were telling me, I was like, yeah, 4.7, when I saw that, it just seemed super low. But I'm super interested to try this. Um, and according to Jennifer Yingling, uh, VP of Operations, uh, this is their first ever beer collaboration. That makes sense, because they're not really known. Yingling, although they hold the craft beer distinction... They really don't have this, they don't come with the same background as craft beer because they are a brewery, they are the oldest brewery, and they come from a tradition where you make these beers, these are the beers you make, and you sell a lot of them. They kind of, they're like one of the last survivors of the uh, of the big industrialization of beer, but they did benefit from that. And you really can't go to the East Coast without seeing the Yingling Lager on draft, so they're not, their thing isn't coming out with an IPA. In fact, I don't think they have an IPA. I think they brought out an IPA for a little while a couple years ago. Well, so. fair enough. I mean, it was worth experiment, but they, yeah. that's the that's my point is they didn't really ever do a whole lot of experimentation. So the fact this is their first doesn't terribly surprise me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they said uh, they're excited for the world to indulge in the classic taste of the dark brewed porter blended with the unmistakable taste of Hershey's chocolate. Which, hearing that, I'm like, okay, I can imagine a roasty porter with Hershey's chocolate because everyone knows what the fuck Hershey's chocolate tastes like. Correct. Although, certainly not the first beer that used Hershey's chocolate. It's the first beer that they actually used, they could actually put the Hershey's Hershey's chocolate chocolate name on it. Yes. (laughs) I'm sure many, many a brewery has stood over his, uh, 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 stood over his uh, uh, brew kettle with a bunch of Hershey syrup bottles going, this is bizarre. Or... Sellerman ripping open packets of Hershey's chocolate bars, brewer d- dumping them in. Yeah, both of these things have happened, I'm sure, but they can actually put the name on it, which is kind of cool. So. Um, so, in the other collaboration news, much less happy. <laughs> um, so, this actually comes out of a story we did uh, a few months back when um, Stone had to sell their German brewery to Brew Dogs. Because it turns out that not only is all German beer about the price of what is the equivalent of like Natty Light here, it's German beer for that cost. (laughs) And German beer is awesome. So imagine if Natty Light were like a really, really nice Martzen or something. Isn't it? I'm fucking no. with you guys. <laughs> no, Tyler, it's you not. You should see Whatever. the look on Jeremy's face right now. See, I even knew he was kidding, but it, just the idea <laughs> made... Your Northern Idaho sensibilities offend me, sir. <laughs> they offend me. <laughs> anyway. Well, I got my rile up. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, I guess what I'm saying is, it didn't work out well for Stone. Brewdogs took it, but... I guess maybe as a fuck you to all of Germany, as near as I can tell, um, Stone decided to do a collaboration. And I think this idea came before the whole deal went down. They decided to do a collaboration with Jägermeister. Um, Jägermeister, Jägermeister, of course, probably being more known for how it tastes when it comes up more than Mm -hmm. what it tastes like going down. Um, And just college kids getting blacked out drunk with that and Red Bull. Marketed as a, a, uh, a herbed aperitif, 
as in a, a, a drink you're supposed to have a small glass of after a meal. What it really is is, as you say, something college kids down. They put a nice little cooler of it in the bar, keep the thing at like 20 degrees, and then pour you that with about a gallon of Red Bull and say, welcome to the worst hangover ever. I have never understood the whole like serve Jägermeister at almost freezing temperatures other than it helps dull the flavor of Jägermeister. Yep. I I had a buddy in college. We were up in McCall at a cabin and he got, he saw a half gallon of Jägermeister at the liquor store. Oh, for fuck's sake. That came with a pump, a bucket for ice and little shot glasses. So he bought it and he said, what could go wrong? I mean, that label, that, that setup should just be labeled bad decisions in making. Later that night, he was so drunk when he walked in the bathroom, he fell, tried to catch himself on the towel rack and ripped it out of the rental wall. That is the only way that story could have ended. Well, okay. <laughs> the other way that story could have ended would be a phone call in nine months from someone named Trudy. <laughs> but we digress. <laughs> Anywho, so this collaboration involves Stone's flagship beer, The Arrogant Bastard. And it is a herbed version of their American, er, their American Strong Ale, Arrogant Bastard. Um, they are going to use some of the fifty-six supposed herbs that uh, Jägermeister that they use to produce Jägermeister. Um, in some of these are supposed, they haven't uh, they haven't listed what these are going to be, but but uh, uh, the Beer Street Journal where I got this article speculates. That some of the spices are probably going to be what Jägermeister is most known for, i.e., uh, anise, mm. poppy seeds, citrus peel, juniper berries, licorice, and ginseng. Which I, some of those make sense. I think licorice makes sense and anise makes sense uh, because it just tasted like licorice ass. <laughs> um, Said anise, not anus. <laughs> uh, neither beverage has. Or will ever contain deer blood, which I didn't know that was a urban legend. What? <laughs> That's a, so. At the end of this article, it just as more of a throwaway line. It just says, "quote Neither beverage has now or will or ever contained deer blood." Sorry, internet theorists. Ah. Uh, so apparently, there is like an internet conspiracy that they flatter truthers. I mean, that's. All, that's not as dumb as uh, <laughs> uh, flatter truthers, but I I could. I would be totally on board if they were using deer blood. Um, it might that. actually make it drinkable. <laughs> Jägermeister Arrogant Bastard, if you have heard this and are still like, ooh, i got to get me some. Um, it's heading to uh, uh, U.S. markets this month. Uh, you should be able to find it in a few of them, including Col- uh, California, Colorado, uh, Oregon, South Dakota, Tennessee, and Washington. Unfortunately, um, Ah, shucks. None none is making its way to us, but um, if you feel like inflicting that upon us, uh, you can get in touch with us and, uh, yeah, send us a bottle. We will drink it. We'll review it on the show. (laughs) (laughs) And let everybody know what it's like, because part of me is, part of me is, I could see where some of those, like, herbs could be good in Arrogant Bastard, but I'm, let's just say I'm highly skeptical. If we do try this, we got to try it just straight, ice cold. Dropped in Red Bull. <laughs> okay. Stop talking, Tyler, because someone's <laughs> going to want to send us one just so we will do that. Shut your mouth. Shut your whore mouth. <laughs> As you were saying. 
I was going to end with shut your whore mouth. Oh, next up, kind of the little debate on what's sessionable in craft beer. Well, if I let me start off with my definition, and we'll see how close I am. I mean, sessionable for me is pretty quick, is pretty cut and dry. It should be a beer that I can drink all day and not get absolutely pissed off my tits wasted. Okay, so my definition of sessionable has nothing to do with whether I'm going to get pissed off tits wasted. <laughs> um, it's more just crisp, clean, easy drinking, very refreshing, something that I want to sit down and look over five minutes later and be like, wow, there went that whole six pack. So, which of us is right? Because I think it should be low alcohol. The answer is both and neither. God damn it. Uh, so, VinePair uh, had an article that said it's impossible to define sessionable in craft beer. Um, they talk about how you can hear sessionable, session beer in all sorts of facets, uh, like session IPA, where they're more talking about it as a qualifier for alcohol content that was clear yeah when they said session ipa i thought that was pretty clear that was supposed to be a low alcohol version of ipa again something you could an ipa you could drink all day and not absolutely get wasted unfortunately they tended to taste like hop water and ass yep um and then they say that sessionable is also commonly used to suggest it's easy drinkable light refreshing any combination of the three um but Still, with those two definitions, there's a lot to be interpreted uh, because uh, different uh, alcohol tolerance, uh, appetites, different things like that can affect this. Um, And then they started getting into focusing on the alcohol content a little. uh, And according to the BJCP style guidelines, the suggested strength of a session beer is less than 4% alcohol. Less than? By volume. Okay, which is what by what by way? Uh, I can't remember. Okay, well, ABV is what we're pro- more more familiar with anyway. Yeah. So, um, really, less than four percent. Yep. Is are there any craft beers on the market less than four percent? Uh, I think I mean, there's a couple, very few. But most are four and up. Where with Americans, uh, most American consumers consider beer below five percent. To be of session See, strength. Actually, that makes a lot of sense because you look at the style guidelines, especially when you get to English beers um, and and uh, in the surrounding area, you know, Scotch uh, Scotch ales and what have you. Yeah, a bunch of them are in between like the two and a half to four percent range. I mean, like uh, of, of all the Scottish beers, the only one that we would recognize in this country as being a thing is a Scottish export which tends to be in and around 5%. We consider that just to be a scotch ale, but there's like, you know, there are there are uh, smaller versions that are yeah, down to 2.5%. Same with like a black and mild or um, you know, we we consider like an ESB. Mm-hmm. It's like the strongest version of an, a, a British bitter. Yep. So, no, and they talked yeah, primarily in Britain, they agree with the BJCP guidelines of less than 4%. They had a beer writer and judge, Melissa Cole, agrees, and her quote came out, I've come to the conclusion that it's a very patriarchal thing. Uh, When I learned to love beer in northern England, nothing above 3.8% would have entered into the idea of a session beer. Um, If I had to nail my colors to the mass of a definition, I'll always go back to sub 4%. 
Then they talked to John Harris, the founder of Ecleptic Brewing in Oregon. He believes session beers sit generally below 5% for normal beer. And then he said, when asked uh, what the w- word means to him, he replied, in the beer world, it means high drinkability. Interesting. Uh, then they get into, session still rever- refers to as low strength. Whether 4 or 5% below, it's low strength. Unless, of course, you happen upon a Session Imperial IPA, Imperial Session IPA, Session Barley Wine, such as Space Ghost, a Golden Session Barley Wine, Ecliptic Collaborated, uh, uh, Ecliptic Collaboration Brew that Harris, by his own admission, isn't a barley wine at all at 8% ABV. It wouldn't really be considered sessionable either. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I'm still, I, when, you, when you said a Session Imperial uh, IPA, actually my head just... Just started, just started hurting, because the two I, things so you, are completely different. So you brewed an IPA. You, you brewed an IPA. That's what you. That that's what you've done. <laughs> that that's wrong. I mean, those two concepts are are diametric opposites. They hit. And they annihilate each other. What is wrong with you? Huh. This reminds me of the. Remember when we got into the argument of could you brew an imperial pale ale? Yes, I think we <laughs> and I think we looked at each other after a while. He said barley wine. You you make English a, barley wine. Yeah, you made a barley wine and actually having scaled up a pale ale recipe to that strength. Yeah, it's a barley wine. Depending on how many hops you add, it becomes either an English barley wine or an American barley wine. But fucking barley wine. <laughs> So I, it's all beer. Oh, fuck. All right, that's it. That's the podcast <laughs> is over. I broke it. <laughs> you got two ideas that just happen to share the same name. You have a low strength version of uh, of some beers, which just you know they're session because you can sit down and drink a lot of them. And then there are there are beers that you just want to drink a lot of, despite their alcohol content. We just call them both sessions. Yeah, and they talk about in the article. That really kind of best way to kind of describe a session beer is about balance. Okay. So it needs to be very well balanced. You're not going to have some super big boozy beer that's going to be very balanced and refreshing. But on the lower alcohol level, you can get that balanced refreshing coming through. So it's the whole purpose of the article, I, I think, is, yeah, there really is no way to put a definitive... Here's Webster Dictionary definition of sessionable. To every person, it means something a little bit different. So you can't just say, oh, this is sessionable. you got to say, oh, this is very sessionable. I get this. Um, and I'm suddenly struck with the immediate urge to uh, make a uh, Imperial Session Double IPA. Do it. Just, and see if I can't fit in one more buzzword in there as well. Just Hazy. Why doesn't the Brewers Association have an Imperial Session Hazy IPA? I think it's called a Hazy IPA, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm on it. <laughs> All right, well, I'm I, I'm now upset and need another beer. Do we have anything else today? Uh, nope, I think I'm, that's about everything I've got. Well, all right. Well, this has been It's All Beer. If you are as annoyed by these by these style uh, differentiations as I am, uh, you can get a hold of us. Uh, we're on Twitter at It's All Beer. Facebook, you can find us at It's All Beer. And, of course, you can get a hold of us by email at uh, itsallbeer at gmail.com. And, as always, uh, leave us a recommendation or a, or a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get this because it does help more people find this. They can listen to it and start li- and yelling at their radio about it's a it's just a goddamn low strength beer for the love of all that's God. Quit fucking with my style. 
That may have been a little bit of editorializing on my part. And this podcast is the Imperial Session IPA of the podcast world. And I think that's all for me forever. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. I'm going to go drink a session here. Have a good one.